Thanks for listening to this audio podcast from Crossgate Church in Hot Springs, Arkansas. We invite you to visit us at crossgate.org. It is our hope that you will hear from God and draw closer to Him through this service. So if you would, find Luke chapter 19 in your copy of God's Word. Luke chapter 19, maybe you have a Bible there or a device of some kind. Find Luke chapter 19 as you're finding that. I want to point out two things to you. Uh, First of all, I want to tell you that Many of you don't even know this, but last Sunday, we had a, a minor medical incident on our campus, uh, and, uh, and it, it took place during the first service, and I just want to give a massive shout-out of thanks to our security and to our medical teams for springing into action immediately to render aid and coordination and care as uh, EMS arrived, and then also, of course, uh, minimizing disruptions to all of the activities taking place on our campus. I specifically mention this for two reasons. One, because I simply want to encourage all of you who are currently serving on the security and the medical teams here on Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights at Crossgate Church. But but secondly, I want to make sure everybody understands at Crossgate Church that we have a highly trained team of medical and security providers in our midst every single Sunday. Normally, they're completely out of sight, out of mind. But in those moments when they need to respond to something, they are always on it. And I just want to let them know how much I appreciate them. So listen, you can, you can be certain and know that, uh, that we've got some teams on this campus that are ready to answer any contingencies that come up uh, so that we can press in and worship Jesus unhindered. Here's the other thing I want to share with you before we get into the message. As Pastor Rob said, Next Sunday is Super Bowl Sunday, also known as Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, but in the kingdom of God, Easter is Super Bowl Sunday because it's the greatest day of the year as we get to celebrate and worship our risen Savior and Lord. Now, we expect well over 1,000 people on our campus next Sunday, and we'll be offering three services, three opportunities to gather at 8 a.m., 9.30, and 11 Uh, And that's very important to understand that you can find yourself at any one of those services and get the full experience. And then, of course, we'll have, I think, anywhere between 12 and 15 people taking their next step in believer's baptism between the 9.30 and the 11 o'clock service right out in the mall area. You will not want to miss that opportunity to hear those life-changing, transformative testimonies about salvation and and, and faith in Jesus Christ. Now, let me say a word about the 8 o'clock service. The 8 o'clock service, of course, is open to anyone, but there's a couple of key groups that we would love to see take advantage of our 8 o'clock service, if at all possible. One would be anybody who doesn't have preschoolers in their home. Okay, if you don't have preschoolers in your home, that would be a great opportunity for you to come and worship. Just treat it as kind of a quasi-sunrise service, okay, 8 o'clock. The other group of folks that we would love to see worshiping at 8 o'clock would be those who are specifically volunteering at 9.30 or even at 11. So I'd love to see a ton of our folks take advantage of the 8 o'clock service so that we're freeing up even more seats for the folks from our community coming to worship at the 9.30 or 11 o'clock hours, all right? Now let's get into our message today. Of course, we're we're wrapping up and kind of capping off our uh, teaching series called Meeting Jesus at the Crossroads of Life. The last five weeks, we have every week we have looked at a story in the Gospels where somebody just like you and like me met Jesus at the crossroads of life of their life and in a very personal and powerful way. And a couple things that we've said are true of every one of those messages and certainly going to be true of this message today. First of all, Jesus meets people right where they are. Uh, No matter who you are, no matter where you are, 
no matter your background, your backstory, your history, good, bad, or ugly, Jesus wants to meet you right where you are. And of course, the other thing is this, Jesus can do more in your life in a moment than anybody can manufacture in a lifetime. Now today, again, we're in Luke chapter 19, the very famous story of Jesus and a wee little man named Zacchaeus. So let's begin reading in verse 1 of Luke 19. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, and he was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass through that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone into be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. And then here's one of the most famous verses in the entire Bible, Luke 19, 10. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Now I want to share with you three simple things this morning from this passage. And the first of which is all about Zacchaeus. Who is this guy, Zacchaeus? Well, the Scripture tells us that he was a chief tax collector in the city of Jericho. And not unlike Matthew, whom we studied three or four weeks ago, uh, Zacchaeus just like Matthew was probably the most hated man in Capernaum in his day, Zacchaeus was most likely the most despised man among the Jews anyway in Jericho in his day because he was a tax collector. Now that doesn't mean that he was simply an IRS agent as we understand them today. Uh, just as I explained to you when we talked about Matthew, I'll explain it again talking about Zacchaeus. A Jewish tax collector in those days had basically received a tax franchise from the Romans. The Romans were all about getting their tax money, and so when they occupied a, a land, they would appoint some of the indigenous folks to collect the taxes. And they gave them this task and this incentive. They said, hey, here's the deal. We need you to collect the taxes that these people owe, and we're going to have Roman soldiers go along with you so that you can get that money from your fellow countrymen and to ensure you get the right amount of tax money. But here's the incentive. Anything you get from them above and beyond what you owe us, you can keep. So get as much as you can, as long as we get our cut as well. Now just imagine if the Chinese or the, or the Russians came and somehow invaded the United States and occupied Garland County, and they put you in charge of collecting all the taxes from your fellow citizens of Garland County, and they said, we're going to send some soldiers around with some AK-47 rifles to follow you around to ensure that you get all those taxes from your people. And oh, by the way, whatever you collect from the citizens of Garland County above and beyond what you owe us, you can keep it. That sounds like a pretty good deal, doesn't it? Of course, you would also be the most hated person in all of Garland County, I'm sure. All the, all the Arkansans here, your name would be Mud. You'd be persona non grata among those people. But here's something also to note about Zacchaeus. Not only was he a tax collector, and not only was he despised, I'll be honest, I think Zacchaeus probably took a certain amount of joy in shaking down his fellow countrymen for all of this money. You say, why? Well, because I believe Zacchaeus had a chip on his shoulder. You say, well, why did he have a chip on his shoulder? 
Okay, what's the most famous thing everybody remembers about Zacchaeus? Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he, right? He was incredibly short. I'm telling you, now I know, I know I'm, maybe I'm reading into this a little bit, but I don't think so. I think Zacchaeus, back at Jericho Junior High School, was that one dude who always got stuffed into the wall lockers in the hallway, all right? I really believe Zacchaeus was probably, at, at Jericho High School, he was the guy that all the football players bullied and harassed and dropped him down into the trash cans in the hallway, right? And now he's got the upper hand on these guys, and he's doing everything he can to get as much from them as he can. He's got a chip on his shoulder. So I go back, I remember when I was a, a, a brand new recruit in the U.S. Marines, and I went to a place off the coast of South Carolina called Paris Island. Some people call it Paradise Island, and it was basically the Marine Corps boot camp. And there I met these guys called Marine Corps drill instructors. And I, 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 to this day, I cannot believe how much joy and pleasure they took in sadistically punishing Marine recruits. It, it, unbelievable. I mean, the amount of pain these guys inflicted. And you know who the worst of them all were? The short guys. I mean, there was, some, there was these little short drill instructors. I mean, listen, and I know it's bad theology, okay? But I truly believe there's going to be a special place in hell for drill instructors, okay? That's just, that's just me, all right? I know it's bad theology. Don't say Pastor Phil said, but all that, to, all that to say, these little short guys, I mean, they had a chip on their shoulder, and they could not wait to get back for all those years of harassment and abuse and bullying that they took when they were kids. Now, here's Zacchaeus. Somebody has well said that Zacchaeus, if we put him in modern-day terms, Zacchaeus was probably a cross between Danny DeVito and Bernie Madoff. You think about it. Danny DeVito, he's not even five feet tall. Most movies he plays kind of this, this shifty, kind of sleazy little dude, right? And then Bernie Madoff, who about 10 years ago was sentenced to 150 years in jail uh, for, for scamming thousands and thousands of Americans out of billions of dollars of their life savings, of their children's college money, of just everything they had. Certainly, you know, during the years when he was sentenced and in the news, Bernie Madoff was the most hated man in America. All right, so now you have this dude who's, who's a, a cross between Danny DeVito and Bernie Madoff. Oh, by the way, the name Zacchaeus literally means righteous one or, or, or pure one or innocent one. You know, I think it was Pastor J.D. Greer who said calling Zacchaeus the righteous one is like calling Charlie Sheen the sober one. I mean, just a massive irony in the Bible talking to this dude. And yet, he had heard about Jesus. He knew something about Jesus. Just at the end of Luke 18, talks about a blind beggar who was healed, miraculously healed by Jesus right outside of Jericho. Uh, the Gospel of Mark tells us his name was Bartimaeus, and everyone heard about it. So he, Zacchaeus had at least heard about this, Jesus' victory over disease, but check this out. Most scholars will tell you that when you kind of bring all the Gospels together, the events of John 11 came right before Jesus went to Jericho and saw Zacchaeus in Luke 19. Well, what's going on in John 11? That's where Jesus raised Lazarus from the grave. And the word of that spread all over the countryside. So I'm, I guarantee you Zacchaeus knew about this stuff, and he knew about Jesus. So that in spite of the hardness of his heart, in spite of his reputation, 
in spite of his wealthy self-sufficiency, Zacchaeus knew that he needed God. And just like so many others who had seen and heard of Jesus, Zacchaeus was becoming convinced that Jesus had somehow, someway come from God. Now, I'm certain as, as he was there in the city, and of course he could not get in front of all these people to see Jesus, they weren't going to let him, little sleazy Zacchaeus, get in front of them at this, at this parade to see Jesus. Right? So he shimmied up a sycamore tree. And while he was climbing that tree and while he was looking out, looking for Jesus, I guarantee you this is what he was thinking. I would love to see this guy. I think he's the real deal. I think he's legit. But surely he wouldn't want to have anything to do with me. I mean, none of these people want to have anything to do with me. Why would he want to have anything to do with me? So that's kind of what's going on in Zacchaeus' heart and mind as Jesus comes close. So first we talked about Zacchaeus, now let's talk about Jesus. Let's talk about what happened when Jesus engaged this wee little man. Okay, so Jesus walks along, he sees Zacchaeus in the sycamore tree, he looks up, he talks to him, he calls him by name, and he engages with this little man. And I think it's important that we understand what's taking place in this engagement, two things that specifically and explicitly are mentioned in the scripture, and then one that is implied but very very important. Okay, so the first thing that happened is, is Jesus called Zacchaeus by name. Jesus called Zacchaeus by name. Zacchaeus! Certainly that implies that Jesus wanted to engage him personally, but I think also Jesus was reminding him of what his name was. Now you think about this. His name did not match up with what he was living at the time. But Jesus knew something about Zacchaeus. And here, if you don't hear anything else I hear this, that I say this morning, hear this. Jesus Christ sees you right where you are and as you are. But get this, by God's grace, Jesus also sees who you could be. Did you know that? Jesus Christ sees you for who you are right now, the good, the bad, and the ugly, all of it. But he also sees who you could be. You know, there's two people sitting in your seat right now the person that you are and the person that you could be through God's amazing transformative grace. That's an amazing thing. That's the hope of the gospel. And Jesus called out to Zacchaeus almost in a way to say, hey, bud, here's what you could be, man. You got the name. Now let's just try to catch the rest of you up to the name. Right? And I hope you understand, folks, that Jesus knows who you are. Regardless of what your background is, regardless of what you have going on in your life right now, he knows who you are, and he sees who you are and who you could be. Right? He knows you. Probably knows, well, I know, I know he knows more about you than you even know yourself. You know, I talked about the Marines a moment ago. Uh, not long after I got out of boot camp, my first duty assignment, I was just a lowly, scum-of-the-earth private. Now, I got saved about a year before I joined the Marines, and I was serious about following Jesus. I wanted to witness to my fellow Marines. I wanted to invite them to church and all of that. But one day, I mustered up the courage to invite my squad leader to church. Now, you got to understand, if you're a lowly, scum-of-the-earth private, your squad leader is about one notch below deity. And this guy is the absolute lord of your existence. He can bring as much pain or anything else in your life as he sees fit. But I wanted this guy to come to church with me. And so I said, hey, Sergeant, I'd love to invite you to come to church with me uh, this Sunday. Would you like to come? And he looked at me and said, Kramer, 
And you know, in, in the military, you have no first name. I mean, you just kind of leave that at the house, right? You just, you're all, all you vets out there know, you just know him by your last name. He said, Kramer, God doesn't even know who I am. And just again, I'm shaking on the inside, and I said, Sergeant, I, I assure you that God knows who you are. He even knows the number of hairs on your head. But there's a lot of people, maybe some of you here, who truly feel like God does not know who you are. But I will tell you, God knows exactly who you are. And Jesus called Zacchaeus by name. He wants to call you by name as well. Here's the second thing. Okay, not only did he call Zacchaeus by name, Jesus embraced Zacchaeus personally, socially, and publicly. So remember, Zacchaeus, the most hated man in town, despised by his fellow countrymen, the Jews. He was absolutely on the outs. Oh, yes, he, he ate the best foods available. And he lived in the best house in town, most likely. But he ate his dinners alone. And he lived in that lavish house alone. If he lived in Garland County today, he'd be eating at 501 Prime in the vault every single night. But he would always have a table for one. There's no way that he could have been happy or fulfilled in that existence. And here's Jesus saying, hey, I'm coming over to your house, Zacchaeus. Let's go. Now understand this. The Jews in Jericho would not have been caught dead at Zacchaeus' house. Because in, in that religion, you're guilty by association. And if you even rub shoulders with someone like Zacchaeus or someone so sinful and wicked and, and, and sleazy, well, you're going to be lumped in with him. Nobody would have touched Zacchaeus with a 10-foot pole, and yet Jesus says, I'm coming over to your house. And oh, by the way, he didn't say, hey, Zacchaeus, here's a list of 10 things that you need to fix before I come over to your house. Here's some moral things that you need to clean up before I come hang out with you. Here, here, here's, some, here, here's some spiritual things you need to get cleaned up before I can ever hang out with you, Zacchaeus. No, he said, let's just, I'm coming over to your house. That's it. And of course, you notice the urgency there. He went to Zacchaeus, and he spent time with him in his house. Now, those are the two things we see spelled out explicitly. Here's the one thing that's implied, okay? Jesus talked to him about repentance, faith, and obedience. Jesus talked to Zacchaeus somewhere between verse 7 and verse 8 about, about repentance, faith, and obedience. You say, Phil, how, where do you see that? I mean, are, are you just reading into the Bible? No. You might remember what we said at the beginning of one of the messages earlier in this series, that every time Jesus engages with someone, he always engages with a gospel call. The reason we know that is because that was the content of his messaging throughout his ministry that was inaugurated in Mark chapter 1. Remember we showed you Mark chapter 1, verses 15 and 17. Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of God, saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent, believe in the gospel, and follow me. Repentance, turning from sin, belief, or faith, and, and following Jesus, meaning obedience, you're actually living it out in your life. It's not just that you say, oh yeah, I'm saved, I'm saved, I'm saved. But your life actually backs up the fact that you're saved, right? that you're a follower of Jesus. And, and, and this is the reason why we know that Jesus talked about these things with Zacchaeus. Look in verse 8 of Luke chapter 19. Look at this. Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. Life transformation. That's how you know someone's saved. As someone has oftentimes said, if your religion hasn't changed your life, you need to change your religion. True saving faith in Jesus always leads 
to life transformation and, and, and someone who's a growing follower of Jesus. Now listen to me. This is the other thing you've got to hear this morning and hear it big, hear it plain, hear it straight. Look at this. Jesus loves you so much he's willing to meet you right where you are, in your sin, in your depravity, in your brokenness, and all the rest, but he loves you too much to leave you there. That's a good place for an amen. So many of you could say, yes, I know that that's true because that's what happened to me. Jesus met me right in the midst of darkness, and he brought me out of that darkness into his marvelous light. So here's Jesus engaging with Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus comes to a very transformative experience with Jesus so that he doesn't just want to see Jesus. He has experienced Jesus. He, his life is different now. His life is changed because of the power of God in his life. Now, here's the third thing I want you to see this morning, and this is where it gets real personal. Let's talk about you. Uh, one of my pastor mentors in seminary said, never hesitate to talk about the, the, the prophetic you. See, because right now I'm not just talking about us or we. Right? I'm talking about you and you and you and you and you. Okay? Because the same things that Jesus said and, and how he engaged with, Nick, uh, with, with, uh, with Zacchaeus is the exact same way that he wants to engage with you this morning. He wants to call you by name. He wants to embrace you right where you are. And yes, he wants to talk to you about repentance, faith, and obedience. How do we know this? Look in verse 10. Again, one of the most famous verses in the whole Bible. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Let me tell you exactly what's going on in this verse as it applies to you. First of all, you are lost without Jesus. You are lost without Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 3 and verse 23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Sin separates. Sin separates you from a holy God. Sin separates you from people. And ultimately, Jesus came that you might be reconciled to God. You say, well, I mean, listen, I'm, I got it. I'm a sinner, but I'm not that bad. I mean, I'm not as bad as some other people. I haven't, I haven't robbed any stores or killed anybody. Come on, Phil, cut me a break here. Well, I can't cut you a break because God's not going to cut you a break. James chapter 2, verse 10, look at this. Forever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of it all. One half of one sin is enough to wreck your life and separate you for eternity from God. But let me just kind of boil this down to some, some very plain language here. Uh, many of you like to eat breakfast. I hope you do. I like to eat breakfast. I like to eat eggs. Maybe you like to eat an omelet from time to time. You know, something like this. Doesn't that look so good? Man, I mean, I'm ready, I'm ready for lunch right now looking at that omelet, okay? Well, let's say I'm making an omelet for my family, and I've got all the ingredients laid out. I mean, just beautiful cheese and ham and a little bit of spinach and a little bit of this, a little bit of that. i got the eggs over here. Everything's ready to go. And I crack one egg into the bowl, and I've got all my ingredients in there. Then I crack another egg into the bowl, then I crack another egg into the bowl, and I start mixing it up, and, and, a, and a very pungent smell just goes up my nose. I said, oh, no. That last egg that I cracked and put in the bowl was rotten. Oh, man. Well, they won't know any difference. Right. Would, I, would I seriously serve my family an omelet that included a rotten egg? No, I wouldn't. I'm sure you wouldn't either, okay? See what I'm saying? 
yes, you may have some good things going for you. Okay, I got some good things going for me. But there's enough sin in everybody's life to completely ruin the whole. That's why I say, without Jesus, you are lost. You're lost. Here's here's the second thing. The second thing is this. Not only without Jesus, you are lost. Jesus is seeking you. That's right, you. Every single one of you here. Certainly, if you're here and you've never trusted Jesus Christ and you are lost, Jesus is seeking you. Ezekiel 34. This is really the the passage on which Jesus' statement is based. Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I myself will search for my sheep and seek them out. I will seek the lost, bring bring back the scattered, bind up the broken, and strengthen the sick. Here's one of the reasons why I know that Jesus is seeking you is because God desires that everyone be saved. 1 Timothy chapter 2, look at this. God our Savior desires for all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. Notice he doesn't say God desires for some people to be saved or certain people to be saved or those people over there to be saved. He says God desires, our Savior desires for all people to be saved. That means Jesus is seeking everybody, and that includes you. Jesus is seeking everybody. But then here's the third thing that Luke 19.10 tells us. Salvation is found in Jesus. Salvation is found in Jesus. If you ever ask the question, why did Jesus come to the earth in the first place? Just look at Matthew 1, verse 21 from the Christmas story. Look at this. You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. I mean, the Christmas story, for that matter, you could go to Luke 2, where it says, born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. I've shared with you this before, and and it bears repeating. You know, if if our greatest need, we talk about our greatest need now. If our greatest need was information, God would have sent an educator. If our greatest need was money, God would have sent a financial advisor. If our greatest need was was physical well-being, God would have sent a doctor or a nutritionist. But our greatest need is salvation from our sin, and so God sent us a Savior. Salvation is found in Jesus. Now, as your pastor, it's important for me to reiterate that on a regular basis. Luke 19, 10. Again, get it down, big, plain, and straight. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. It's important for me to tell you that on a regular basis. But it's also important for you to hear that from other people. And I've asked Dave White to come. He's one of our elders at Crossgate Church a man who came to faith in Christ later in life, and I've asked him to share briefly this morning his testimony of how God was seeking him and ultimately saved him through the Lord Jesus Christ. Dave, share with us, brother. Linda and I started uh, dating in high school, and five years later, we were married after college, and um, we, we had two children. Our, our lives were fairly normal. Uh, I had a good job. Uh, We uh, were going to church, a Methodist church. We were both raised in that church. And uh, if you had asked me through my life if if I thought I would go to heaven when I I died, I would have said yes. But I I was wrong. I was deceived. I spent my whole life chasing a career. Uh, a business, growing a business, searching for 
the things of the world, security, happiness. Um, I, I'm sure a lot of you can relate to that. Um, we rocked along and things were okay for a while, but eventually over the years that all changed. Uh, over time I became a workaholic. I, I was married to the business. Uh, I was out there calling on major accounts around the country. Um, that was a trap. And uh, entertaining, taking people out became a part of that. It was a part of that. And alcohol became a major part of that. And, and what I was doing, I mean, everybody around me drank, and that's just the way it was. So over the years, and I just have to fast forward, our, our, uh, our marriage began suffering. Uh, I was experiencing burnout, depression. Um, I can remember just desperately wanting to try to find some peace and joy in my life. I mean, I'd get up in the morning not feeling good. I can remember trying, or I was trying to fill this hole right here with, with the things of the world, with, with all the wrong things. Um, I didn't realize it at the time, but like Zacchaeus, my greatest need was a Savior. I needed the Lord. Linda had at that time, later had gone into the Baptist church in our small community in South Arkansas. And uh, the Lord was taking care of her there, and, and she had some friends that were, were carrying her along through this difficult time. My youngest brother was also in that church. He was a Christian. He was saved. And they had a prayer group. And they were praying for me and for us. And that went on for seven years. Seven years. They continued to pray for us. God began to pursue me. And there were a lot of different ways I, I could express that. But, I mean, one quick story I'll share with you. We had a classmate that we graduated with. That, uh, her name was Judy. And she had been battling cancer for six years. And she was dying. And my brother invited me to come to church on a Sunday night there and she was going to share her testimony. And I snuck in and sat on the very back row, and she said later, she told me when she saw me back there, the Lord said, I want you to talk to that guy right there. And she did. But I saw on her face, this is a, a lady that's dying, I saw on her face a peace and a joy, everything that I'd been looking for, and she, was, she wasn't going to be around much longer. It impacted me greatly. I, I left that church, got in my car, and I wept, and I drove. Two days later, I went to her home, and she shared the gospel with me, and she asked me if I would like to pray to receive Christ. And I told her I just couldn't do that. And she told me, she said, you go home, you find a Bible and read the book of John three times, and then come back and see me. And I did that. And I still would not surrender. And she told me, and this is important, she said, Dave, that's okay, but I want to tell you something. I'm going to be praying for you, but my prayer is this, specifically, that God will make you miserable. We know God answers prayer, right? It, it got worse. So finally, to fast forward, I, I hit a bottom. I hit that wall, and I was driving in the river bottoms 
late at night, and I got out of my car, and I got on my knees on that pavement, and I cried out to God, and I said, God, what do I do? What is the answer? And he showed me and revealed to me in a very profound way those three crosses right there. And to this day, we have scattered around our home three crosses, whether it's a stone or a painting or whatever. And I saw right there, and he revealed to me, Dave, everything you're looking for in this life that you've been searching for for all these years can be found in, in a relationship with my son, Jesus. So February the 25th of 2000, in my, our living room, I got on my knees. I hit my knees. The pastor was there, and I surrendered my life and prayed to receive Christ. Linda was there with me. Two days later, we got baptized with a bunch of young people. It was awesome. Um, <laughs> I was a 53-year-old baby Christian. Our pastor had left. Uh, nobody to disciple me. But God gave me a hunger for his word. And I would, he would get me up at 3 and 4 in the morning, and I'd be in the word. Um, the Experience of God study came along, and God literally used that tool to disciple me and us and, and, and provide and show us a roadmap and a guideline for following him through the word. 2004, we moved to Hot Springs. I retired. 2005, we joined Crossgate. So we find ourselves today still on this journey. And it, it's open-ended, I got to tell you. We claim the promise of Romans 8, 28. Uh, we look back today, and, and if we had it to do over again, we wouldn't, we wouldn't trade anything because... God has used that difficult past to open doors for us to be able to share the Lord and what he's done for us through our difficult times. He is still seeking to save the lost and to save them. Thank you so much, Dave, for reminding us that God seeks and saves the lost, that we are incredibly valuable to God. You may not realize that, uh, that, that right where you seat, are seated today, you, you are of unbelievable worth to God. You know, here's a question. What is something worth anyway? Well, most real estate appraisers will tell you the value of something is what someone is willing to pay for it. Isn't that right? It's what someone's willing to pay for whatever it is that's out there for sale. Uh, case in point. So I, this little Yeti cup, I bought this cup about five years ago. Uh, not for any sentimental or specific reasons. I just needed something to drink out of. And I walked into a sporting goods store, and I saw this little camouflage cup. I said, I'll buy that. I think I bought it for 20 bucks, probably five years ago. Uh, it's got a lot of battle damage from it over the years now, but a friend of mine was in my house the other day, and he said, you know how much that cup is worth now, don't you? I said, I don't know, 10 bucks? He said, probably about $150, $200. I said, what? Evidently, these cups with this little camouflage on it, they only made it for a short period of time. And there's some Yeti enthusiasts out there, like collectors. I guess they collect the stuff. And people want this cup in this little camouflage pattern. I said, okay. So I went on eBay. Sure enough, this cup in this condition right now would probably bring me $175. Somebody somewhere is willing to pay that much money for this cup. That's how much it's worth right now. If it was still new, like I still had the little cardboard sleeve on it and everything, 300 bucks. That's how much this cup is worth. Why? Because that's how much someone is willing to pay for it. Now, I want you to think about this. 
How much are you worth to God? Well, however much he was willing to pay for you. And how much was God willing to pay for you and for me? John 3, 16, the most famous verse in the whole Bible. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. That's how much you're worth to God. And if you were the only person on the face of this earth, he would have still sent Jesus to die for you. Do you know him personally? John 3.16 tells us that salvation is available to everybody, but it's not automatic. You have to receive Jesus Christ personally. That's why the biggest question ever asked is, what will you do with Jesus Christ? And the decision to receive him by faith is the biggest decision anyone could ever make. You know, there's four types of people in this room this morning. Four types. I'm going to ask you to categorize yourself right now. Here's the four categories. Category A, I know with absolute certainty that I'm saved, and I want to live my life fully for Jesus Christ. B, I'm saved, but I'm not following Jesus like I should. C, I'm not saved, but I know I need to be. And then D, I'm not saved, and I have no intention of ever being saved. Now, you categorize yourself with that, don't you? Every single person here is in one of those four categories. You know, the gospel is timeless. And those two categories at the bottom, I'm not saved, but I know I need to be. I'm not saved, and I have no intention of being saved. You know, the, the, the same gospel that saved me 33 years ago is the same gospel that's saving people to this day. Two questions I asked. I met with a couple on Tuesday night to talk and meet with them about some issues, and I asked them two questions. It's the same two questions that someone asked me 33 years ago. Question one, do you know with absolute certainty that if you died today, you'd go to heaven? Do you? And then I asked them the second question. If you died today, and you were to stand before God, and he were to say, why should I let you into my heaven, what would you say? You know, a lot of people answer that second question with behavioral-based thinking. Well, I, I'm, I mean, I'm a good person. I'm not perfect. But, I mean, I haven't robbed anybody. I haven't, haven't killed anybody. I'm a decent person. Remember the omelet. Okay, remember the omelet. And always, what does, the, what does the Bible say? Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. You can't possibly earn your way to God. You can't possibly do enough good deeds to get there. It's all by God's grace. Without Jesus Christ and his, and his free gift that he bought for us on the cross, we are lost. We're lost. But God loves you so much that he sent his son to die for you, that in him you might have eternal life. Let's bow for a moment. Seeking God as God seeks us, as Jesus came to seek and save the lost, where are you in that category? You may be here and you're celebrating and rejoicing in salvation that you have in Jesus. Wonderful. But you may be here today and you say, I, Pastor, you, I'm, not, I'm not saved. I mean, maybe, maybe I prayed a prayer years ago. Maybe, maybe I got baptized again, whatever. But I, I look at my life. I look at my life. And the Holy Spirit's telling me, you were never saved. Because if you were, you'd be living a different life. And I know I need to be. 
Or maybe you're here today and, and you're like category D. You're just being honest. Pastor, I'm not saved, and I have no intention of being saved. I don't need that stuff. I'm a self-made man. I'm a self-made woman. I've got everything I need. Why would I want to be saved? Why would I want to go all in for Jesus? I mean, I don't need him. And my prayer throughout this week leading up to this message, and certainly even as I'm speaking now, I'm likewise at the same time praying for you that God would speak, that you would hear, and you would realize that you definitely, absolutely need the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, if you're here today, friend, and you're not saved whether you want to be or not, I encourage you to consider the free gift of, all, of salvation that Jesus holds out right now. And if you truly want to be saved, you can be. By praying something like this and meaning it with all your heart, Jesus, I know that I'm lost. I'm a sinner. I cannot save myself. Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross for my sins, for my sins. Jesus, I believe that you rose again bodily and physically from the grave that third day. And Jesus, I believe that you're holding out the free gift of eternal life right now to me. I want to receive it. I believe in you, Jesus. I trust in you with all of my heart. And I want you to be my Savior and Lord and follow you in obedience all the days of my life. It's that simple. And Heavenly Father, I pray for every man, woman, boy, and girl here watching online, someone who may listen to this message later or watch this message later. May they know that the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. God, thank you. We cannot rejoice enough over the salvation that Jesus offers and that so many of us have received. I pray, God, today would be the day of salvation, seeking the Lord while he may be found. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Friends, look up here for just a moment. If you're here today, category C, category D, you've never been saved, today could be the day when you trust Christ and say an everlasting yes to Jesus Christ. I would invite you to come and see me personally in our next steps area right after the service. Let's talk about it. Perhaps you're here and you are saved, uh, but you've never followed the Lord in believer's baptism. We will have baptism next Sunday as a part of our Easter celebration, resurrection celebration, and it's not too late to become a part of that group of folk who make a public profession of faith through believer's baptism. Again, come see us in our next steps area and let us encourage you in that. But friends, I tell you, I love you. I love partnering with you to make more and better disciples at Crossgate Church. I pray you have a blessed and Jesus-filled afternoon. You're dismissed. We invite you to join us in person at our campus located at 3100 East Grand Avenue in Hot Springs, Arkansas. If we can pray for you, send us an email at prayer at crossgate.org. Thanks again for listening to our audio podcast.